The Federal Innovator Podcast is brought to you by Accenture and produced by Government Executive Media Group Studio 2G. Change is all around us and happening at light speed. At Accenture, we see change as a constant source of energy and inspiration, and we're helping deliver the change that matters right now with bold thinking, tried and tested innovation, the best in technology, and a tireless focus on people. Learn more about how Accenture can help your federal agency put change to work and meet your mission. Visit AccentureFederal.com. Consumer expectations are at an all-time high. Constituents want the same customer-focused, user-friendly experiences they are accustomed to with commercial companies from their government organizations. That's right, Stephanie. And it's not only constituents. Designing with the user in mind is critical for government staff as well in order to ensure productivity and operational efficiency, as well as to elevate mission outcomes. In the defense sector, designing with the user in mind is particularly crucial. It not only enhances the warfighter's experience, but gives them the tools they need to protect and serve effectively. And no one knows more about the importance of UX in the defense sector than today's guest, Colt Whittle, Chief Experience Officer for the U.S. Air Force. Welcome to another episode of the Federal Innovator Podcast. I'm your co-host, Stephanie Warner, Deputy Director and Senior Fellow at the Atlantic Council Geotech Center. And I'm Tim Irvin, Managing Director and Studio Lead of the Accenture Federal Studio. Colt, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. So Colt, since joining the Air Force as Chief Experience Officer in 2019, you've been determined to ensure that airmen have optimized digital tools that power their work and empower mission success. Can you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the user experience? I think all of us at some level are sort of interested in consumer experience, right? We're all consumers. We're all using technology. We're all using products all the time. I think always going back to college, that was kind of what I tended to gravitate toward the most. But I also had a tremendous interest in public sector, particularly in DOD and in that intersection of, of IT and government and in graduate school, interned for three summers at AT&T, Bell Labs and Government Affairs, then interned at the FCC Office of Plans and Policy on the first ever Spectrum auction. And so fairly early, these kind of intersections of government and technology and policy were, were what interested me the most. And then later on, you know, combine that with an interest in product design, consumer product and experience design. And in what ways do you notice the impact of good or bad user experience in your own life? Friction, mostly. Friction when you're trying to change from one insurance vendor to another and you find that you can't just handle it in one phone call. It's multiple calls. It takes six, seven hours. For me, what impresses me the most is the lack of friction. And what aggravates me the most is unnecessary friction and wasting my time. You mentioned friction as being this sort of point of challenge, but we're becoming like we're in a world where I think we're less and less tolerant of friction or we have systems that make it very easy to move very quickly. How do you think that changes the nature of your thinking about user experience, particularly in your own Air Force? Well, it, it keeps me focused. It gives me something... Um, it gives me an easy way to talk about it with the Air Force, and actually it resonates with this theme of warfighter effectiveness. And a lot of people, when they talk about user experience, and this is not a bad thing at all, but they're talking about consumer product companies or consumer services companies. You know, They talk about delighting customers, delighting users. They talk about creating customer retention and reducing churn. And those are all very good things. They're extremely important. That's not my client. I'm a former professional services guy, so I'm kind of always a professional services guy. So 
you know, in my current professional services role, my client is, you know, the airman, right? Not about necessarily delighting my customer or my client. It's about not wasting their time. It's about making them feel valued by making them efficient in their role. It's about making them a better warfighter. And when we start talking about things that are a little bit more aesthetic, the terms that I like to use are, you know, things like lean and lethal. That is quite a evolution from call center experience to friction, lean and lethal and warfighters. And yet somehow they all seem like they kind of fit together. I noted one time when you had mentioned that in the past that the UX is in the Air Force's DNA, like very specifically in its DNA. But what did you mean by that? Part of what we're doing here is, you know, trying to help steer the culture a bit, particularly in IT, particularly in acquisition of software. And one of the things that I try to remind people of is user experience and the tools and techniques and things that we do in trying to create a good user experience are really not new to the Air Force. The Air Force practically invented some of them. Going back to the World War II era, there's a Wired Magazine article that you can find if you Google Wired Magazine, B-17, and Macintosh. Basically, the story is that in World War II era, we were losing hundreds and hundreds of pilots and crews, particularly B-17s. And the Air Force had concluded that we had bad pilots. So they wanted to know how to hire better pilots. Hired Lieutenant Colonel Paul Fitz, who was retired, I think, at the time. He was a psychologist. And you know, his job was figure out you know, what are the criteria that make a good pilot so we can start hiring those people instead so that they don't crash so many planes. First thing he did, start looking at the data, looked at the records of the flights and the crashes, and he began to notice similarities. He began to notice that a lot of them, you know, maybe the landing gear was deployed too early or not at all. He began to just notice patterns or maybe, you know, maybe the bomb doors were open and they shouldn't have been. So he found the pilot and they went out and started looking at the plane and they began to realize that the controls all looked the same and operated kind of the same. And so they came up with the concept of shape coding. And, you know, it's, you see shape coding in everything now. The levers for the bomb bay doors and the landing gear and the flaps and everything else should look and work differently. They should be shaped differently so that in a under stress environment situation, smoke in the cockpit, lights out, you know, whatever, you can find it. But you see shape coding in everything now. It's in the design of your car. It's in the design of practically every consumer product you use. The Air Force went on to do a tremendous amount of research in human factors, applying to pilots and cockpits and all kinds of things, and still does, by the way. The importance of user experience becomes really evident when we talk about lives on the line. Are there other reasons that user experience has become more important to either the DOD or the Air Force of late, why we're paying even more attention to that now? I talk about this frequently, and it's not just annoyance, right? There was an organization in the Air Force that did a study and found several hours of lost productivity a week on average for their particular workforce just due to IT issues. We have applications that are just miserably designed. The fitness application is notorious. You could probably go do a search on Reddit and many other kind of social media channels. And if you dig, frankly, not even that far, you'll probably find screenshots of it that airmen have posted out there and ridiculed. The Hawaii incident, of course, is infamous where you had somebody who needed to do a test of the public alert system and hits the real button, right, to launch what appeared to be a real alert of an inbound missile. Those are all those costs. And there's also tremendous benefits to a much better user experience, right? Productivity, 
of all kinds of things, right? It's interesting to hear this kind of direct line between user experience and mission impact. And I'm curious how you've been able to kind of draw also that line into kind of the cultural impact, like when you're referring earlier to the airmen and thinking, you know, in terms of retention, so quality of experience and ability to kind of retain people because they feel that, you know, they're given uh, carefully considered tools and services to be successful with. Let's just talk about the application I referred to, right? It's a fitness application. Everybody knew it was bad, all right? The reason that we got it redesigned, we got it redesigned very fast, was that the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, Joanne Bass, she spotted on social media airmen ridiculing it. She knew it was bad because she's a user of it too, right? And so she literally went to my boss and we worked with the community that owns that application. And it was remarkable how fast it could get redesigned. And to be honest with you, it was done in a month. It just was not that big of a deal to fix. And this is a lot of times the most egregious issues are the simplest and the easiest to fix. So that was a case where there was pushback. It was more just so nobody really could get the edge, not, and not even me in my role, could to push it over the line to just get it done. The leaders of the Air Force understand, it, in my experience, that we need to improve user experience. They wouldn't necessarily use the term user experience. So you have to do some translation for them. And then once you do the translation, you find that they're very supportive of improving on these things. Feels like the common thread, like when you're talking about seeing the voice of the airman ridiculing an experience about the cultivation of empathy. And are there ways that you've been trying to kind of institutionalize at least that, that empathy or at least having the voice of the airman front and center uh, to make it easier to have an emotional connection with the impact of the decisions and the downstream you know, issues associated with morale or efficacy or safety even. This is kind of related to empathy. One of the things that I hear again and again is airmen, I think, have a tremendous amount of patience for the difficulties of their part of the mission. They will work all night. They will do whatever it takes. They will get it done. And if the tool is difficult, if there are problems, those are part of their role and they overcome those kinds of challenges. They're tremendous in that. What I think gets people down, and I hear this, is it's the non-mission critical stuff. It's the non-core mission stuff, right? It's dealing with personnel. It's dealing with PCSing, which is permanent change of stations, basically in-processing and out-processing at bases. There's a million annoying boxes to check. Fitness tests, it's not taking the fitness test. It's not prepping the fitness test. It's dealing with you know, the paperwork connected to it. The Air Force and the military in general doesn't like to spend a whole lot of money on the non-core mission stuff, but we need to. It has to work. So back to how do we listen to airmen? When it comes to the enterprise IT, we did not have a good way to really listen to users. It was done anecdotally, maybe by people listening to you know, social media channels, various Facebook channels, all sorts of stuff. So we implemented basically a voice of the customer program. We call it Air Force IT Pulse. And we do a pulse survey. Last year, we did it every day. This year, for operational reasons, we shifted it to every week, which is fine. It gave us the same thing. It's very, very helpful. Was the chief experience officer title, was that new? Did you have a predecessor? Yeah, so brand new. The former CIO, Bill Marion. I knew him and I had reached out to him and we got into a conversation and kind of crafted the role. Given that you are the maiden voyage, as you're 
kind of an ambassador. You're obviously executing against programs and simplifying complex systems and kind of building enthusiasm and momentum. I'm curious how kind of the outside of the direct kind of application of skill and user experience to the applications itself, have you been able to foster an environment where people are now, their eyes are open to it, they covet it, they see the benefit? You got to get the word out. That's why I do conversations like this one. So big part of my role is get the word out about the necessity of doing what we're doing, talk about what we're doing, get the word out on what program managers should look for. Because, uh, you know, a lot of these folks are acquisition people and a lot of them don't necessarily know, like, what's a litmus test for am I staffing UX people appropriately on my team? You know what I mean? So I try to give them simple things to look for. Mm -hmm. You know, go out, count your developers. And if you don't have one UX person for every at least 10, but ideally about every seven or eight developers, if you don't have that, you probably have a problem you know, call me and let's talk about it. I would imagine there are a number of people that are listening to podcasts that are maybe in similar positions where they're on a bit of a crusade to improve experience and maybe feel like they're in a position to need to uh, organically grow, I think to, to some extent, kind of empathy for that mission, but momentum, those benchmarks are really great places to start. Colt, when people fight you on user experience, I'm curious what their arguments are sort of against it. What what makes it difficult to move forward user experience thoughtfully? Usually they have a legitimate concern that's very practical. Just the other day, I got some pushback and it was on that ratio that I just quoted. And I was making the point that, oh yeah, you know, we need about one UX person for every, say, seven, eight. And somebody basically said, you know, all of our IT programs are in sustainment in this organization. And they have maybe a couple of developers and that's all they have access to. So they can't do that. I'm like, okay, well, we can solve this problem. We need to create a shared UX services organization that can help you some small percentage of the time and help you focus on the kinds of incremental enhancements that are both within your budget and within your team's technical capacity to do. Like this is an imminently solvable problem and we can advance your entire portfolio from a UX perspective. So that's the kind of pushback that I tend to get. Other folks coming or potentially coming from commercial backgrounds that may be thinking about uh, working in the federal space, what advice do you have for them? Oh, I, they should do it and they should talk to me. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, would, I think people have a perception that we move very slow and we do have a lot of things that do move kind of slow, but then we can sometimes make things happen ultra fast. As a UX person, what, what do you want most, right? You want to design things that get used and you want to engage and interact through the product. You want, you know, you want to build products that get used, that make a difference. Well, that is what we do. So you want to come build stuff that gets used, makes a difference. You get feedback, you interact with the user community. This is a great place to do it. Are you seeing any changes or paradigm shifts in user experience, whether as a result of technology or new ways of doing business or operating? Oh, sure. One of the big ones for sure. We are evolving into a DevOps, you know, agile kind of environment. In fact, within a big swath of software development in the Air Force, we're already totally there. So one of the shifts is UX. When I was in the agency world working, you know, for commercial clients or government clients, most of what we would do was fixed price contracts. And our methodology, frankly, looked a little bit waterfallish, certainly 10 years ago and 20 years ago, but even in the last few years. 
And we can't really do that. So within our environment, we've got to follow more of a lean UX model. I would say design systems are growing in importance and they will help us further improve user interface design across the Air Force. Another one is tools. So everybody knows all the major design tools, the Adobe UXs, the Figmas, and so on. We now need to get the tools that UX people really want to use. We need to get them installed in our environment at our info security levels so that they can support all of the programs that we have. Yeah, thanks so much, Colt. That paints a really good picture of where it's headed. First off, it's been great talking with you today. Before we go, I always like to ask one question, which is what are you geeking out about right now? So just yesterday, I saw a fantastic presentation about how AI was used by Team New Zealand to win the America's Cup. And uh, I took a class in in machine learning three or four years ago, and now that's all coming back. And so now I want to go take a bigger, longer class in machine learning. That's really awesome. As a separate recommendation, I would say if you want to check out a Netflix documentary, Personal Gold, about how they optimize their win on uh, the women's team, what optimize their win on indoor cycling, it's pretty amazing. Not quite an AI approach, but definitely a high-tech approach. It's very cool. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah. That's awesome. Colt, I really do appreciate the time. Thank you. So Tim, what, what struck you from that, from that conversation? I think the practicality of like setting some of your kind of metrics and benchmarks that felt like good practical advice because it, I mean, as a first chief experience officer for the Air Force, I think Mm -hmm. you're always going to be in a position where you could very easily be pushing a boulder up a hill many days if you don't build advocacy and build enthusiasm and momentum and kind of as you go, because it's never just going to be about better software. When he was like, you need to have like a one in six or one in eight ratio or whatever the ratio was that he said, you know, exactly. I I need that user experience person on every team, making sure that someone's keeping an eye on that. That was kind of powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, know. I thought that was uh, interesting. Even just like having, if you know, you don't have the ratio of designers to developers and you know, you don't have the tools, then you've got some clear signs that you can make some assumptions that there are going to be some problems down the road or make it even harder to maybe orient to experience. I feel like we keep hitting the same thread in some of our conversations, but it just really, I almost feel like the more we talk about whether it's UX or design or innovation, how much it really comes down to being like a human process that if you're not out there on the front lines, picking up the phone, calling your team, supporting your team, that this kind of change doesn't happen and isn't sustainable. Yeah, particularly around the solicitation of feedback. I was not expecting Colt to say that it was a day, initially a daily, and then it moved to weekly uh, point of feedback to have people write in so they know they're being heard. And then there's the corresponding expectation that you're going to do something about it, which might not always be the easiest thing to communicate. That feedback and the commitment to feedback, I thought was really interesting. We've heard this in different shades, not with necessarily the word friction, but what was your take on like using friction and the identification of friction as this way to maybe kind of aim effort or prioritize an issue? Yeah, I, I honestly, I loved it. I thought that was like spot on. I think what struck me though in talking with Colt is just how our world is 
we've done so much in some ways to eliminate friction out of certain kinds of experiences, especially with like IT stuff. Like we forget how, you know, we can click on something and have a page load within, you know, a few milliseconds and, and we're there and how impatient we've gotten. And so it makes me think that it's potentially a lot harder to get those wins. Are you seeing from like where you said people taking more into account, like user feedback? I probably like a horrible assumption to say like, I can't imagine that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, like the Air Force was like, here, let me pull my users and figure out what, what they want. But this idea of like listening to your users, getting their feedback, getting their input, is that a shifting trend that you see? I think it's a shifting trend, mercifully shifting trend. And I think it goes kind of part and parcel with what he's mentioning around lean, not always the lethal part, but the lean part of how do you move quickly, eliminate waste? And so what we've been seeing more of is intolerance, I think, in a lot of federal environments to, it feels like you're wasting time when you're not solving the problem by talking to too many people, listening too much, or having too long, maybe the discovery phase. What's your understanding of lean UX? And what do you think that means in this context? That was sort of a, a newer idea to me. I mean, obviously heard of lean and agile, but I hadn't heard of like lean UX specifically. I think it's all about removing waste and getting kind of increasing speed to value. That's the context that I would think that Colt was kind of intending it as. So that lean and lethal notion was, I think, about moving quickly, confidently, and kind of in a sure-footed fashion with enough information to make smart, informed decisions. And I think that gets at, at the creation of software. I think it gets at the understanding of the human need behind the experience. And I think it also gets to the prioritization so that it doesn't feel like a large kind of elongated, bloated process to gather requirements and say, this is the most important thing. It's increasingly easy to use the same kind of customer orientation to the creation of the experience as it is to the alignment of the organization, which I would imagine is a big part of what he's doing. I mean, is there any situation though, where you would say like a lean UX philosophy doesn't make sense? I mean, when you just talk about it, it almost sounds like, well, that's the new reality. That's how we have to design yeah. for this world. I can't think of any. And in, in fact, when Cole was talking about some designers may want more waterfall where you can kind of mother the solution unfettered by, you know, the grimy realities of, you know, development and time, but like perfecting screens more often than not, I think young designers as well. They want to be able to move quickly. They want to work in agile formats. They want to see their work out in the world affecting change. And when you couple human-centered design and agile, I think it's much easier to do that. The notion of kind of still design, like paid designing pages and documenting pages and hundreds of them and thousands of them, I don't see anybody clamoring to do that. So even if it's because that perfection is gone the second it leaves your hands. Like it's never going to be perfect. You're designing extensible systems, not perfect moments. This has been an episode of The Federal Innovator, a podcast for and about the innovators taking on the biggest challenges in the federal government and making change that is more human, simple, and enduring. Please stay tuned for more episodes as we explore innovation across the federal landscape. Thank you for listening to The Federal Innovator, brought to you by Accenture. At Accenture, we're helping the federal government do the extraordinary things it takes to create a better future for everyone. See how we're delivering this new future faster. Visit AccentureFederal.com to learn more.